Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. We're going to continue in our miracle series for the fourth week. Now we've covered the first three miracles, the first miracle being about power. If you recall, when he changed water to wine and at the marriage in Cana, then he came back to Cana for his second miracle. And that's when he healed the Roman ruler's sick son. That was in Cana. Uh, however, the son was in Capernaum or Capernaum. And that was about 20 miles away. So, and each time Jesus is saying, hey guys, keep this on the down low, would you please? Uh, I've got a lot to do, and if you go spreading all this, uh, that's gonna be trouble for me. Well, then, uh, in Capernaum, it kind of all broke loose. He healed uh, a woman that was demon-possessed. You remember that? So he's shown his power, he's shown his authority. Uh, In the first two miracles, then his power and authority both came to bear on this demon-possessed woman. So now we are building, 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 and we're at miracle number four, and this is how it unfolds. In Mark chapter one, verse 29 and following, it says, as soon as they left the synagogue, now this is where he had just healed the demon-possessed woman. So in chronological order, this is what happened. As soon as they left the synagogue, uh, they went with James and John to the home of Simon, who was Peter, eventually, and Andrew. So they're there in Capernaum, Capernaum, right there at Peter's house, where I showed you a week ago, the church that's been built there, the archeological dig that's happening because they believe that to be Peter's house. And so they went, uh, uh, verse 30, Simon's mother-in-law, which is interesting because Simon is Peter and Peter is supposedly the first pope, right? And here he has a mother-in-law. Okay, so you do the math, figure that out for yourself. So Simon, Peter's mother-in-law, was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus that she's got a fever. She's in the back room, she's got a fever. So he went to her, took her by the hand, helped her up, and the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So get the picture. Uh, There's this big commotion in Capernaum. Uh, Jesus has just healed a demon-possessed person. He goes, hey, let's, let's go to somebody's house. Peter says, come to my house. Peter says, they're in there. Peter, Andrew, James, John, they're there. And hey, Peter, and Peter says, oh, my, my mother-in-law, she's in the back. She's not feeling well. So Jesus goes and ministers to her in the back and says, hey, come on, get up. And she gets up. Then let's just finish this little passage so you can get a, some context. Uh, verse 32. So that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon possessed and the whole town gathered at the door. So here's this town, a fishing village of about 1,500 people back in the day. Jesus has cast a demon out of a woman. Then he's, let's just have some dinner. Let's go rest. He goes to Peter's house, heals Peter's mother-in-law and now it's evening and the entire town, I don't know what that looks like, but you open your front door and there they are. The whole town is at your front door. The whole, it says, verse 33, the whole town gathered at the door. So, verse 34, so Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out demons, um, but he would not let them talk about who he was. So now, it's the next morning, so he probably stayed there the evening. Er, Very early the next morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place, a deserted place where he prayed. Simon and his companions, they woke up, you know, coffee's already cooked, but no Jesus. 
Where'd he go? Oh, he's out somewhere. We better go find Jesus. Somebody lost Jesus. So Peter, of course, let's go find him. Simon and his companions went out to look for him. Verse 37, and they found him. And when they did, they exclaimed, hey, Jesus, everybody is looking for you. All right. So let's just call that the end of the story right here. We can continue to read on. But that gives us a pretty good context to the idea that now the word is out. I mean, when the whole city shows up at your front door, you just can't keep it under wraps anymore, right? So miracle one, be quiet. Miracle two, miracle three. Now he, he heals Peter's mother-in-law, boom. They're all at the front door. And we're at miracle number four when he heals Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus, the miracle worker. I just think it's interesting to note because at the rest of that story, after he healed her, the next morning he got up early and he went out and prayed. As, listen, and this is important for me, it's important for all of us, but as your responsibilities increase, the more responsibility you have, the more important it is for you to pray. So he got up early and went out and he prayed. So we have miracle one, miracle two, miracle three, and now miracle four. Something shifts here, and let's take a look close. So the first miracle was the wedding. It was about to crash right? Because we had run out of the good stuff, supposedly, and Jesus made something that was even better. That was miracle one. That was his power. Then his authority for the child who was about to die, Jesus simply spoke the word, healed the child. Then the woman there in Capernaum healed of possession of a demon. God, all-powerful. Elements obey him. Sickness flees. Demons go. I mean, that's quite a resume, right? So tell me about yourself. Well, demons flee and I can speak to water and turn it into wine. I just, it, the power and authority drips from me. So people should carry my Bible and give me water and take care of me everywhere. But you know, here's what twists. Here's something really, really amazing that happens. Jesus, having all this power and all this authority, what trumps his power what fuels his authority, what brings him to you and to me is not his power and not his authority. It's his compassion. He goes, what? Pete, Peter, your, your mother-in-law's got a fever? Where is she? And he takes time out of his day to go minister to a woman we may or may not know, but just with a fever. Not a party that's about to crash, you know, not a dead child, not a demon-possessed person. No, just somebody with a fever, not feeling well, a little under the weather. Jesus cares about that. Somehow he cares about Peter's mother-in-law. What's up with that? Well, it's his compassion. Speaking about Jesus in Colossians 1, I want to give you a little background story as to why he does this, okay? So we're going to take a couple minutes and we're going, to, we're going to dig in, we're going to unpack why this is such a big deal for Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, he is the image of the invisible God. Who are we talking about? Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, who? Jesus. For by him, all things were created. Things in heaven, things on earth. Things that are visible, things that are invisible. Whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things. Look at that. There it is. 
all things. I don't know how much Greek you know, but let me just tell you that all means all. All things have been created through him, by him, for him. Who is the creating force in the Trinity? It's Jesus. God, the Father, God, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Who was the creator? It was in the Trinity, it was Jesus. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. What was the Father? No, it, was the, it wasn't the Father. What was the Holy Spirit? No, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus. Jesus was the creator. That's what it says right there in verse 16. So check this out. The universe, think about the, I'm talking about the, our solar system. We're talking about our galaxy. We're talking about the universe. The universe was in the mind of God before time. It originated in the mind of God. The universe started in the mind of God. The universe was first thought of by God. God is bigger than the universe. That means if Jesus is, is the creator, that means he's the architect of the world, of the universe. He sat down and he drew out the plans. You ever dealt with an architect? Particular people, aren't they? Then what do they do? They give it to the engineer. And the engineer goes, oh, the architects, they don't know anything. They draw anything they want. I mean, if you ever ask an architect, can we dot, 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 they always answer yes. Because as long as you have enough money, you can build it out of glass. You know what I mean? Uh, look, I mean, yeah, the answer is always yes to an architect. But now the engineer gets it and goes, I don't know about that. That's tough, right? Then the builder, not the general contractor, the sub gets there and goes, what are these crazy people talking about? How in the world am I supposed to build that thing? But the beautiful thing about Jesus is he is the architect, he is the designer, and he is the builder of the universe. It's amazing. And even though all of that stuff is designed and built by him, he still has great compassion. He, so much so, think about this. He has so much compassion that he's, he's concerned about your mother-in-law's fever. I'm not talking about demon possession. I'm not talking about marriages or weddings crashing or or. or Little kids that are on the threshold of death. I'm just talking about something as simple as your mother-in-law's fever. The creator of the universe. Why? Why? He thought the universe before he created it. Do you have that truth now firmly in place? Watch this. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, it says this. He chose you before the creation of the world. Now, all right. So watch this. If I'm God and I'm going to think of the universe, right, that's pretty cool, then go create it. Before God thank of the universe, before he thought of the universe, he thought about you. Wait a second. It says, he chose us before the creation of the world. You were on his mind. Before he even created the universe. Before God said, let there be light, he had already thought about you. He not only knew you before he knit you together in your mother's womb, as we say, but he cared for you enough 
that he created, listen now, he created the universe as a gift for you. You're not an accident. We're certainly not some distant relative of an ape. We're not a byproduct of happenstance or evolution. You're not an accident or an unwanted pregnancy. No, you're precious to God. He knew you before he created the universe. He knew you. He knew you would be in this room today. Wait a second. Man was created on the sixth day. God created all that other stuff, and then here we are. We're not, we're some sort of, some sort of afterthought. No, 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 no. You're not an afterthought. You are the center of his thought. How do I know? Well, you're created on the sixth day. That's the number of man. That's how you remember that man was created on the sixth day. So we have in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we have the sun and the moon and the stars, then we have the, the, the animals and all of that. And then out there, day number six. Why did it unfold like that? I'll tell you why. It's because whether you're a parent or you're a grandparent, you're a single person who really likes somebody and you want to get them a gift, do you, let's not form it as a question, let's form it as a statement. Here's what happens. My wife starts shopping for Christmas in like April. Oh, this would be a great Christmas present. It's in the closet, it's in the closet, it's in the closet. Oh, we got to go to this party or whatever. You know, she's got, she's got gifts for days, right? Or my, uh, my third granddaughter, Liberty, Liberty was born on the 4th of July. Interesting, her name was Liberty before she was born on the 4th of July. They had already selected the name, and then she was born on the 4th. So her birthday's coming up this week. She's going to be five years old. And so we already have all those presents. Why do we have all those presents? Because we love her. And what we did is we got the present, we, shall we say, created the present, we wrapped it up. Why? Because we know somebody's coming. It's a special day. God created the universe. He formed it all, knowing he was going to present it to you on the sixth day. It's your gift from him. How do I know? Well, look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, after all of that stuff was created, the gift was created, the universe was created, then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them rule. Let them subjugate. Let them have dominion. That's the Hebrew word. Let them have dominion. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, over all the earth, all the creatures that move along the ground. He's saying, all of this stuff is for you. Now, listen, ecologists, yes, absolutely. We need to take care of the gift that he gave us, right? We need to take care of our air. We need to take care of our planet. Why? Because it's the only one we got. So we should take care of it as, not worship it, not worship it, because we love the giver, not the gift. What do you love more, the giver or the gift? We love the giver. That's how it works in gift giving. I can give the most valuable thing to my wife, the most expensive gift I could ever give her, but she would still choose me over that gift and vice versa. Why? Because we love the giver, not the gift. So I'm telling you, respect the planet, but love God. He gave you this gift and he wants you to rule over it, subjugate, have dominion, and then verse 27, so then God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. Oh, that's an interesting point. 
There's only two choices there. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, hey guys, what you should do, be fruitful. Can Adam and Steve be fruitful? No, Adam and Eve can be fruitful. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule, there it is again, subjugate, have dominion over, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living creature that moves among the ground. God's, here it is, write it down, it's the point of the morning, God's number one concern is for you. God's number one concern is for you. In Deuteronomy 32, we learn that we are the apple of his eye. For the Lord's portion is his people. The Lord's portion. What does that mean? His inheritance. It's, his, it, it's what makes him happy. The Lord's portion is his people. He found us in a desert land, in a barren and howling wasteland. But he shielded us and he cared for us and he guards us as the apple of his eye. Just like an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers its wings over its young and spreads the wings to catch them, so he catches them. What's the point? The point is this, that you are more important to God than the entire universe. The universe was your gift from him. He thought of you before he thought of the gift to give you. He fell in love with you before he said, I should give them something. And isn't somehow the size and the weight and the gravitas and the importance of a gift somehow representative of how much you love someone? Oh, he's going to, whatever. Or you're going to give, man, I'm going to save, I'm going to save, I'm going to save. I'm going to draw this thing, I'm going to build this thing. And I pour all myself into it. That's how much God created the universe for you. And gave it to you. Wow. That's a mind blower. And so here's what Jesus said about it in Matthew 10. Let's get his perspective. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground. You know the old song, his eye is on the sparrow? If his eye is on the sparrow, do you think it's on you? Not one will fall apart from the ground, uh, the will, apart from the will of the Father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered, verse 31, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than the sparrows. You're worth more than anything he created. You are the most important thing to him. And again, he says in Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store in barns, yet the father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 8 because it talks to this point. It says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name. Anybody remember that? Uh, what, what's the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who sang that song? That Who sang that song? Not Sandy Petty, right? What? Amy Grant, Sandy Petty, and Michael W. Smith. Yes. The answer is yes to all that. All right. Who knows? But that's, what is that? It's probably late 80s, right? Great song. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens from the lips of children and infants. You have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe, the avenger. When I consider your heavens, all right, let's stop for a second. David right, wrote this. He says, when I consider the heavens, I mean, consider the heavens. When I consider the works of your fingers like the moon and the stars, 
which you've set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? So David's having this thought with himself. I've looked at all of this amazing stuff. What are we in light of this huge, huge stuff? And David's about to figure out it's the gift that God gave us. Rather than for us to, to look at it in a manner, God is so big and awesome. And yes, the heavens declare his glory. But listen, he says, what is man that you're mindful of in the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. That was Jesus when he was born. He, he, he came under the authority of time and space and humanity. But we too... Just a little lower the angels, but when we get to heaven, we will actually, it says in scripture in 1 Corinthians, we will judge angels. It says, you made him ruler, you made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. That's to subjugate, that's to rule, that's to have dominion over. So it's not for, like, that's so huge. No, God, that's God's gift to us. That's how much he cares for us. Everything under your feet, all the flocks, all the herds, all the beasts of the fields, verse 8, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim, the paths of the seed. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What's the bottom line? Is he cares for you. He loves you. And there's no gift so big that he isn't willing to give it to you. But why, why, does that, why is that so hard for us to swallow? Well, in, in uh, 1 Peter 5, 7, the Lord tells us that we should cast all of our anxiety on him for he cares. Cast all your cares on him for he careth for you. Remember that? King James says, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. So let's, let's take this apart real quick. Cast, cast all your cares Cast The same word used in Luke 19 when they brought the, the donkey to Jesus and it says they cast their cloaks on the donkey. See, only two places in the entire New Testament that that word is used. You just literally take it off and you throw it. Cast what? All. What did I tell you about the Greek word all? It means all. That means the big cares. Hello, oh, my job, my home, my family, my God. How about your mother-in-law's fever? That's how much he cares for you. Not your fever, not your wife's fever, but your mother-in-law's fever. Guys, not too much of a loud amen there. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Cast all your what? Your care, that means your concerns, your distractions, this is from the Greek, and your thoughts. Little things. Cast all your cares, not just the big stuff. This is the point of today. Yes, you got big stuff, but you know what? When you stop and you consider how awesome he is and how much he loves you and that he heals Peter's mother-in-law's fever, there is nothing, all your, every single care, all the way down to a parking spot. Oh, dear Lord, I need a good parking spot today. That's a legitimate prayer, and he cares. And let me tell you this. If you believe that God moves when you pray, yes? Then you must also there likewise agree that when you don't pray, God doesn't have an opportunity to move. Mm. This is why we should pray always. 
pray continually, not just on the one big thing this month, the three big things this year, or whatever. No, everything by prayer and submission, just bring it to God. Even your mother-in-law's funeral. Your mother-in-law's funeral. No, no. <laughs> Fever. They both start with F. I got a little ahead of myself there, just a little bit. You understand what I'm saying? Cast all your cares, your thoughts. That's what that word means. Cast all your thoughts on him, all your concerns, all your distractions. On, on who? On Pastor Eric. I need to call Pastor Eric, and I need to cast this concern, this care on Pastor Eric. Believe me, I have enough cares and concerns of my own. I'll certainly listen to your care and concern, but at the end of our conversation, I'll say, have you cast this on the Lord? Because I'm not designed to carry it. Just like they cast their cloaks on the beast of burden. That's what we do with our cares. We cast them on the Lord and he will take care of them. We cast them on your husband. Don't do that. Cast them on your wife. Don't do that. You can certainly talk about it, but it's not their response. God loves you so much. He gave you the universe. He can heal your mother-in-law's fever. He can certainly take care of that situation that you have. Cast all your cares on who? On God. Not me, not the government, not your family, but why? Because he cast all your cares on him for he careth. That means he's concerned and he has compassion. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a super Greek geek, but I love this word because it's mellow. M-E-L-O, mellow, that's how you say he careth. God's mellow. It's only used one other place, and I'm going to tell you about it. It's in John 10. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So what happens is, is when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep, and he runs away. Then when the wolf attacks the flock, it scatters. Verse 13. The man runs away because he is a hired man, and he careth not. But Jesus says of himself, what? Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I care for you. He has compassion on you and there's something about compassion in the Bible. Jesus was a man of emotion. He cried, we know, but the most often mentioned emotion of Jesus in the Bible is compassion. Continually, over and over, says, moved with compassion, he blah, 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 blah. Moved with compassion, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's not sympathy. Sympathy goes, oh, I'm sorry, and then you turn and walk away. Compassion moves you to action. There's a huge difference between having sympathy and compassion. Compassion moves into verb, into verb lane, into verbiage, where you say, wow, that's horrible, child sex trafficking. Wow, that's horrible, abortion. Wow, that's not good. And you just click your tongue against the roof of your mouth and you turn and walk away. You've only been sympathetic. But if you go, man, I need to do something about that. I need to say something. I need to get involved. Now you've been stirred with compassion. This is what Jesus does when he knows you have an issue. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't stand there in heaven and go, oh, that sucks for you. Too bad for you. Man, you're going to have a really bad day. Too bad about that. No. He's saying, would you please engage me in prayer, which then allows me to come and intervene, 
to interdict, to come into your life circumstance and get you that parking spot or heal your mother-in-law's fever or get you, help you with that job or give you the right words to say in that meeting you've got to go into. That's how he gets activated in your life. Does God come and move in your life apart from your invitation? Yes, he does. But he's, I'm telling you, given the option, he's more likely to come be a part of your life if you invite him through prayer. By accident, you stumble into your, into your, into the grocery store and, and you're taking your kids or whatever. Oh, and the kids are just standing there and they're just minding their own business, whatever, versus the child that comes to you and says, hey, dad, hey, mom, could we X, Y, Z? And could we, and, and now you're engaged and now they're inviting you to come and interact with them. This is how it works with God being our heavenly father. The more you ask him, even about the smallest things, this is the point. Even if you get involved and you say, God, I really need you to, you know, this is, this is a bad situation. And not just sympathetic, but, I, but, but with, with great empathy and compassion, he goes, okay, let's see what we can do about that. And he begins to move. And you know what? You don't always, you don't always know what he's up to, do you? Because his ways are higher than our ways. And you never know what's going on the backside of the mountain as you're climbing up the front side. You just don't. And so that's where you have to learn to trust the Lord. You say, God, I don't see how he's moving any more than my wife could see how I was preparing a gift for her or how your children could see that you were preparing a birthday present for them. My mom doesn't love me. My birthday's tomorrow. And I, she hadn't even talked about it. No, all the while, you've been wrapping presents. You've been preparing. Why? Because you love them. And out of your goodness of your heart and the graciousness, you, you present it to them and they're so thankful, right? They should be so thankful. I said they should be so thankful, right? Right? Just like when God comes and gives us something and he, he, he intervenes in our life, shouldn't we be thankful too because he took care of us? Just like he takes care of the birds of the air. So it moves us to action is what compassion does. But why did Jesus turn water to wine? Really? Because he had compassion on the couple, on the family. Why did Jesus heal the sick boy? Because he had compassion. Why did he cast the devils out of that woman? Because he had compassion. The same motivating factor that drove demons out is the same one that took care of a fever. You're the apple of his eye. For the Lord's portion is his people he found us in a desert land and a barren and a howling wasteland. He shielded us and he cared for us and he guards us as the apple of his eye. Let me tell you this. He cares that you're behind on your bills. Cast all your cares on him for he careth for you. Cast them, throw them at his feet. Throw your concerns at the feet. He knows and he cares that your child is doing poorly in school. You're not all alone with that. He knows and he cares. He knows that you have more month than money. He knows and he cares. He cares you're having difficulty getting pregnant. You're the apple of his eye. He knows you want a godly mate. He wants a godly mate for you more than you want a godly mate. 
Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Do you know that no matter how good a thing you're thinking of, that you think, man, this would be so good for me, God has better things in store for you? He has better things than you could ever hope, think, or imagine. That's how awesome he is. He cares for you. He knows your job's not going well. Cast all your cares on him. Your marriage, your kids. Spiritual life is shaky. Your prayer life is non-existent. He knows. Cast all your cares on him. All the way down, all the way down to your mother-in-law's fever. He cares. So the question of the morning is what cloak, what heavy burden, what cloak are you carrying, are you wearing, that you should take off and should throw that unnecessary weight upon Jesus? I'll tell you what, you know the, you know the saying about that's the straw that broke the camel's back. What does that mean? That means they added up and they added up. It's not a big deal. Added up. And they added, and then there was some more, and then there was some more, and then you started getting irritated. It wasn't, wasn't a big deal like, like four times ago, right? But what are we talking about? The metaphor of this camel with a couple baskets on his back and people just keep putting more and more and more. You put some of it in yourself. Your wife puts some of your spouse. Your husband puts some of that in there. Your kids put it in there. Your grand boss puts it in there. Government puts it in there. Everybody and their brothers putting all this stuff on you. And then there was that one thing. And you snapped. You went crazy. You went berserk started cussing, you started flailing, you started kicking the dog, you just, you went bananas. Was it the one thing or was it the accumulation of things that you should have cast on the Lord and keeping those baskets empty? Well, you know, it just sounds too easy, Pastor. The reason... I'm going to tell you, the reason that, that, that you don't and the reason I don't sometimes cast those care. Here it is. This is the nitty gritty. This is the take home part. This is what we need to understand, what we need to hear. The reason, okay, we've all intellectually ascended to the idea that God thought of us before the universe. He made this amazing gift for us. He cares about us more than he cares about anything else in the world, all the way down to our mother-in-law's mother fever. Why in the world wouldn't we just take the most simplest petitions to him every day? I'll tell you why. It's because we think we can take care of it. Number two, we think they're small and they're insignificant and too small and insignificant for God to really care about it. So number one, the reason we don't cast our cares on him is we say, I got it. I got it. Let me tell you what, you can have it for a while, but if you carry it long enough, it'll break your back. The little things, little, 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 and then next thing you know, you've gone sideways. Why? Because you said you, said you could handle it. Why, do we, why don't we want to say, or rather, why shouldn't we say, I can handle it? Well, at the end of the day, if I say, I got this, Lord, sit down. Hold my beer. And now that, that, that thing goes, I got this. Right? I got this. 
I got this, no need. But God says, I love you. I'll do it for you, it's no problem. I can help you with that. Now, sit down. I'll call on you for the three big things this year later, which will then perhaps make you more inclined to act on my behalf, because I want to bother you with these little things. Isn't this why we don't come to God with small things? Because I got it, I got it. No, just take them to him. The, thing, the small things. That's why we don't. And then we think they're so small that God really doesn't care. Oh, we know God has the power. Yeah, we know God has the power, but he just doesn't care. That's why we don't. We don't think he cares. I'm telling you, he does care. The truth of the good news, the truth of the gospel is that he does care. He cares about you. He cares about your mother-in-law's fever. Yes, weddings with not enough wine and demon-possessed and sickness, great, big, awesome power and authority things. But at the end of the day, he came and gave you all that he has is because he has great compassion for you and he loves you. The small things. You can ignore the check engine light for a while. You know? Yeah? Some of you, myself included, in, in days gone by, have actually stooped to the idea of putting black electrical tape. Huh? Yeah. No, you're too embarrassed to say, I'm not. Black electrical tape right over the check engine light. Did that make the problem go away? For a while. <laughs> so here's what this fourth miracle proves. Number one, we don't have to carry them. Now you can carry them if you want to. People come to me, Pastor, I got, I got this concern and they're so weighed down, I don't know, and, and they double clutch and they got questions and I don't know, and this problem, and that problem, and they get them all worked up and their, their innards, their, their spirit man's all in a big night. I say, you don't have to carry it, just lay it down. And they unpack, I wish I would have brought a suitcase, they unpack their suitcase of all this stuff and you say, okay, great, and, and then you pray. Lord Jesus, just set them free and, 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 and let them turn the, and they say, amen. And then they put, and they put all the stuff back in their suitcase and then they walk away with it. <laughs> Casting all your cares on him. It doesn't mean that you like perform some sort of frontal lobe lobotomy that you just don't even, I don't care, I just don't care. You like, you should be weird and, and no, but, but you, should be, you should be a responsible person. But to carry the weight of that is not designed for you. You weren't designed to carry the weight of that. So don't carry it. You don't have to. Cast all your cares, your sickness, your disease, your financial situation, your marriage situation, your kid's situation, your what, just put it all at his feet. Yes, I'm aware, but I'm not concerned because I know that he cares for me. Well, how do you know? He knew me before he made the universe. He gave the world to me as a gift. That's how I know he cares for me. It proves that no need is too small. I was uh, 
looking at some birds yesterday, and one of them happened to be a sparrow, and I thought, I thought about this, and I'm thinking to myself, God's watching that sparrow. And then I thought, oh, he's watching me too. <laughs> now, for some of you, that's really great news. For some of you, that's really scary news. <laughs> but he is watching you, and he loves you, and he cares for you. You do some things that he, wish you didn't, he wishes that you didn't do, but he's not going to make you. He said, I love you. Come here, son. Come here, daughter. Let me help you. And the third thing it proves is that he does care. He does care. This miracle proves, this fourth miracle proves that he cares about the smallest thing. It wasn't Peter... It was Peter's mother-in-law. And I'm not here to make mother-in-law jokes today. I had a a fantastic mother-in-law. But at the end of the day, as far as concerns in life, I gotta get a job, I gotta get a house, and my car is broken, and my job, and my marriage, and my family, and my kids. And my mother-in-law's fever is probably right around here somewhere as far as your list of concerns are. But Jesus said, hold up, wait a minute, she's not feeling well, where is she? He took her by the hand and he healed her. And he'll do the same for you. I want the worship team to come back, if you would please. And if you'd all close your eyes, I'm gonna ask you a question. I'd like you to consider this, if you would. There's something in your life, probably two or three things, that you may think are just way too small for God to be concerned about. And I'd like you to distill that list down to to just one thing, because we're going to pray a prayer of agreement over that thing, that one thing that you think, yeah, I don't know even God really cares about that. A little physical situation you've been dealing with, you just say, okay, I'm just going to live with this, or, or a situation at work or home. He's a good, good father, He loves you, and he cares about even the smallest concern that you have. Now, the first concern we all have, every head bowed, every eye closed, is one's salvation. That's what he's most concerned about. And so I'm going to ask you, if you haven't, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, now's the moment, now's the time. You simply say, Lord, come into my heart. Heal me, forgive me, give me a fresh start and watch after me. Start, let me start anew with you today. Thank you for forgiving my sins and I give my life to you. If that's your prayer today, just raise your hand up real quick so I can see it and I'll pray for you. Yes, yes, yes ma'am, yes sir. Okay, you can put your hands down. Lord, for these ones that have put their hands up this morning, just bring a peace to their heart. As in their heart of hearts, they say, yes, Jesus, I love you, and I will follow you. Just reassure them right now that they're your child, and even the smallest concern you know about. So we rejoice that new names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life today. As long as we walk this earth, we'll all have concerns. 
But God says, cast all your cares, all your concerns, all your thoughts, cast all your cares on him, on God. Why? Because he careth for you. He loves you more than anything. So whatever that thing is, we're going to pray right now. Just, just maybe just mention it to the Lord. Lord, I need you to. Lord, here's my situation. I need your wisdom. I need you to intervene. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.